back to another edition of the Education Game. I am Matt, and this I'm is Doctor Scott. Doctor, how Scott. you doing today, Matt? I am great. It's cold. I don't like cold, Scott. Cold in Houston. I'm in Houston because it's not supposed to be cold here. I mean, cold like it's super cold, like 40 degrees, like bitter cold. Wow. I think that's yeah. like freezing temperature, isn't it? Something like that. Yeah, I think it's. I think it's about 35 up here in Vermont. So you're it's not much different. You've only got it by five degrees. Yeah. Well, listen, we're gonna watch this transition. We are gonna warm things up because we've got a fantastic. <laughs> see, I can hear the giggling already. We got a fantastic. Uh, we got a fantastic show today. We have Kelly from Education Reimagined. Kelly Young, and um, I know you and she go back some years, um, and so I'm really looking forward because this is an organization that's really pushing into the space of how do we change how education works. Um, you know, tradition is dead. How do we do new new things, better things? And so we're going to welcome her on. Scott, would you mind uh, giving her a quick intro and then uh, taking it over from there? Sure. Uh, so, you know, Matt, when we, uh, hey, Kelly, how you doing? Hello. Good to be here. Good to see you. Uh, when we, uh, last week, we talked about uh, uh, the uh, the phrases socially embedded yeah. and open-walled. Right. Uh, those two terms, those two ways of thinking came from a very important uh, paper uh, that was issued by Kelly's uh, group, mm-hmm. Education Reimagined. Kelly is the president of Education Reimagined, um, but uh, as important as her presidency of the organization is that uh, Kelly is a mom, mm. and uh, I thought this would be a good place to start with Kelly because uh, I think when the listeners hear Kelly's story uh, about uh, her own kids, uh, they will understand why. Kelly has become one of the most mission-driven leaders that I've ever met in the space of learner-centered work. Awesome. So, Kelly, welcome to the education game. And uh, why, don't, why don't you just start sort of laying out uh, what you started seeing uh, in your kids uh, as a mom? I don't know. How many, how many years ago uh, was this now? Um, 10 years ago when my son okay. was going to, uh, pre K three in Washington, DC at our local elementary school. Yes. So yeah. start there. Now the, the podcast is only 30 minutes, so you got to make those Don't 10 years, through. you know, go fast. Yeah. Let me just, uh, start with what got me into education in the first place. I wasn't in education prior to my son going to school. Uh, I was in politics, actually. And it was the day I still vividly remember it, walking across the street to his first day of school. And I, and I thought to myself, if the teachers say, you can wave your magic wand and you can have anything for your son, what do you want when he walks across the graduation stage, whether it's pre-K-3 or graduation stage at the end of you know, 12th grade? And I just remember thinking, I have no idea what I would say. I want him to be kind. I want him to be healthy. I want him to be happy. But I thought, like, is that all I need to say? Do I also want to say that I want him to be able to read and write and know about history and critically think? And it just got me on a quest to discover the answer to what is the purpose of education and what are we doing all of this for? Um, 
And that led to a conversation that I had with the principal of the school saying, you know, how can I help? I just want to be involved. My son is three years old. I don't even really want to be parting with him at this age, but here we are. And, um, and she was like, you know, well, I'm not sure. She asked, she said I could read to a child. I said, you know, I'm, I've got a lot of experience doing strategic planning, et cetera. So I got very involved in with creating a plan, realized that the school didn't have a vision. And I engaged hundreds of parents, uh, teachers, kids, and what they wanted to see in education. Um, and I'll say that this is a pattern. I then went on to the district to be uh, the chief for family and public engagement for DC public schools. And again, talk to now tens of thousands of parents, teachers, and kids to find out what they and, really and, wanted and, from education. And how were you received by the DC public school sort of bureaucracy when you came in with this sort of, I, I, I would imagine it was a new role. It wasn't a new role. It was, um, and, and by the way, at this point, I don't know about learner-centered education. All I know yeah. is that I'm trying to discover what I think, and I'm listening to other parents and discovering what they want. Um, and all along what I'm thinking is what they are saying and what I want and what's happening are diametric, are not, you, you can't get there from here. Um, and I just kept having this sense that we're playing the wrong game. But if you had asked me then, like, what else could we be doing? I said, I, I really didn't know. If you weren't organizing learning, you know, age cohorted, dividing learning up into subjects, sending kids to school from, you know, nine to three, I didn't know how else it could look. I just had this strange feeling that it's got, there's got to be another way. Um, and that's actually what led to uh, this organization, which is I got hired by a group called Convergence, which brings ideologically diverse folks together on issues of national concern. And at this point, uh, I, I was asked to lead an education project. And I really didn't think that there was a national dialogue to be had. I really thought it was a local issue. I thought it really had to be getting close to all of the things you guys care about, which is Right. What do parents and families and communities want for their kids? And so I didn't see a national dialogue. Um, but I took the job to dis to discover. And it was in hundreds of interviews with national leaders in education, asking them what they thought the purpose of education was. I asked them what their visions were. It wasn't until I talked to a, uh, a woman in California named Giselle Huff who is the head of a foundation. And she said, you're asking all of the wrong questions because she's, if you know her, she is not a wilting. She's a very yeah, strong. Giselle doesn't hold back, does she, Kelly? She does not hold back. She's, you know, I think 84 years old right now and survived as a, um, as a, Jew, in, as a Jewish woman, uh, Vichy France and escaped. Um, so, um, but she said, all of the questions you're asking, there's no tweaking the Model T engine if you want to get to the moon. You have to build the rocket ship. And she was the first person to tell me that we have an industrial factory model of education. That's and it right. was like, doo, 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 right? <laughs> the scales fell from my eyes. I was like, oh, that explains why I have this sense that you can't get there from here. Mm -hmm. What everybody is saying that they want and that they're committed to we can't find a way to get there. And that's what led to the project that I now 
that became an organization called Education Reimagined, we actually convened 28 people to say, if you started with a blank slate, not from the legacy system we've inherited, but if you were to really start with the assets that communities have now, with what we know about learning, what we know about education, about the world, what kinds of outcomes we want, what would you invent today? Hmm. And that led to the vision document that you were referencing earlier that lays out a vision for learner-centered education. So talk talk a little bit about those 28, because yeah. that's interesting, right? You know, especially in, in our political times right now, um, who were those 28? What did they believe in? And how did you get them to even spend more than two hours together? Yeah. Well, to say that I interviewed over, you know, in 200 people to get to the 28. Um, so the criteria for coming to the table was one, we needed all the diversity we could get. So charter advocates, public school advocates, private school. We, we missed homeschooling at the time, um, but people who were for blended learning, social and emotional learning, um, everybody had a commitment to equity. Um, Teacher unions, we, foundations. We had, right, we had, exactly. We had the two presidents of the national union, teachers unions. We had uh, philanthropy from the left and the right. We had um, two former state chiefs of education. We had two superintendents. We had, you know, a charter school teacher, a public school teacher. You know, we really, um, we had Disney, Lego, Microsoft at the table. So it was a, it was a, um, an incredible group who had a life, lifetimes of experience in education. And the ticket to admission for this dialogue was that you had to say that winning my debate will not make great education for every single child. Okay, we do have charters everywhere. What does that do? We have no charters. That doesn't make great education for every child. Hmm. Um, and the other thing is you have to be willing at the end of the day that your thing is not in the final vision. I'm not saying it won't be, but you have to be willing to let go of what you've come in with as an answer and not have it show up in the final because it's not really, we want you in a, in a clean space. Hmm. So they all came on board excited by that. And with one other caveat, they said, if this ends up being a piece of paper on a shelf, this will have been a failure. And I said, I, I promise you, I said this to each participant that if it sits on a shelf, that will be my, my, my fault. So um, when, when was this, when was this conversation? Uh, it started in, uh, 2014 and ended at the end of 2015. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, so, so, so education reimagined is birth is birthed, uh, based upon this, uh, this proclamation this, this announcement, this statement. Um, so over the last four years, uh, tell us two things that you're most proud of about the work at Education Reimagined. Um, so there are a lot of things I'm proud about. Um, but I, one is that we okay, have- Okay, you built- can say three. No, it's okay. I can, I can do two. Um, uh, we've built a community of 700 what we call learner-centered leaders 
Um, so people who share a mindset about learner-centered education, and I haven't really shared about that yet, but um, uh, but that that community includes uh, young people, practitioners, principals, superintendents, out-of-school time people, philanthropy, policy advocacy, teachers' unions, uh, higher ed institutions, um, teaching colleges. So one is just we were able to find, once we had the vision, it became a lens through which to look at the world of education and find the like-minded people who were inventing incredibly different models. Like if you were to look at Montessori or then look at big picture or look at any, you know, any two models of education, I'm not sure to the um, untrained eye, you would see what they had in common. But what they had in common was believing that education was really about developing the unique potential of every child and that you did it in partnership and cooperation with kids and their families. Um, and it was designed to, to um, produce not cookie cutter kids, but kids who had really discovered what their gifts were and how to contribute those meaningfully to the world. So that's one thing is this incredible community that we have. And, um, and Scott, you've been a part of these. Um, everybody's developed a shared language, a shared vision. So when we talk about learner-centered and we talk about learner agency, as we know in education, a lot of times these words get pinned on things that it's not. Um, and it really erodes the the efficacy of any effort. And so we've spent a lot of time making sure that we have shared views about that. So it's really a strong stand. Um, and then maybe relatedly, um, we just finished a, a dialogue or an inquiry with learner-centered leaders about what are the outcomes that we want to hold a system accountable for producing in public education. And it was really the question that everything kept coming back to, if you want different assessment, different accountability, other kinds of credentialing of learning, if you can't answer what you want the system to be designed to produce and not have it producing standardized outcomes, like what? That's a, a challenging a challenging question. And so we have a document that's going to be released shortly, but it's about kids having a love of learning, right? Having um, uh, have developed a sense of their self, self-knowledge, self-identity. Um, it's about them having agency in life, being able to uh, create belonging for themselves and for others in community. And it's about being able to speak the languages of history and science and quantitative reasoning and you know, language to be able to investigate things for the rest of your lives as opposed to the transfer of very specific content. Um, so that's the other thing that I'm proud of that we're going to be releasing soon that I think has the power to begin to, sh to enable us to build systems that are aimed at a very different outcome than our current system. Can I so, so, interrupt for so a second, let's, Scott? Let's, let's build that, that vision out a minute. Um, and, and so like so I'm, I, I told you off air, I'm really excited about this community-centered move uh, that Education Reimagined has, has made. Um, where do you think this might take us in, let's say, five to 10 years? What do you, like, what, what, what do you think for parents that are listening today, uh, yeah. this might give them opportunity 
that they might not have, uh, at least at this point. So we've, the, the shift that you're pointing to is a shift that we've made in thinking that this is going to be school by school or district by district transformation to actually believing that what where, where we need to be aimed at is creating community-based learning ecosystems where there is no single place that learning happens or gets credentialed, right? That there is a system in place that helps kids and families navigate a really rich learning ecosystem, both on the ground in a community and virtually, to enable kids to have infinitely greater choice in constructing meaningful learning pathways to their unique ends. And I think the pandemic has opened up for many parents the notion that, of course, this is the way to go. Right. You, you've had your kids at home, right? The idea that the one place that they should get learning is from the officially sanctioned place seems very narrow and artificially constrained. Sure. When there are virtual options, there are pot, there are community-based resources, there's all kinds of options. And I, what I'm hoping is that for parents, the idea of going back to, you know, single sourced education will seem very constrained and odd and that there will be great demand for otherwise. Now you, had a, you had a question. Yeah, yeah. So this is getting now at, you know, the, the folks who we're talking to, we're trying to help them cross that chasm. Um, yeah. And, you know, we found a bunch of barriers. A lot of families are saying. We're concerned that if my child doesn't go back and do the traditional pathway, they won't be a credible candidate for college at some later point. Other families are saying, uh, if I don't go to the traditional, um, I can't do it myself. I can't homeschool. And they're kind of looking at this kind of, you know, either or scenario. Um, but the, the question that I really want to know is I want to get into you a little bit and understand you've got a, uh, I don't know, how old is your son or daughter? Or you've got... A 13-year-old son and a 10-year-old daughter. Right. So the the question that that I think families are really wanting is how do I do it? And what are the examples of folks that have done it? And I don't know what your educational structure, what you've chosen uh, for your kids, it looks like. But how do you reconcile some of what you're studying and learning with kind of the day-to-day of, of your child's uh, learning experience? Can you give us some sense of that? Yeah, it's it's well for sure it's been a journey yeah. from everything from things that are diametrically opposed to what I'm advocating for to some better compromises. Um, but it is in terms of an institution that they could sign up for and be a you know go to a school and get the kind of learning I'm talking about that is not available right now in Washington D.C. without my involvement. So some form of hybrid or homeschooling. Um, so certainly there have been compromises along the way. So um, what our vision is, is that you will not in five years, Scott, to your point, there, what my vision is, is that there won't be those compromises, mm. is that there would be the structures in place for the public education system to work with the family and child and design the kinds of, right, to have the home base for them and allow them to to co-create the learning journey so that it's not whether you can homeschool or not. Um, now, there are lots of opportunities right now to to create learning um, aside from being able to find a school that is already or a 
or a location that's already learner-centered. So part of it is um, being interested in your child's interests, right? Which comes very naturally to a parent and realizing that when they are pursuing those interests, that is education and that is learning and it could not be more valuable um, for them to care enough about something and want to get good at something um, is the learning that some of the most important learning that they can do. Taking risks, building discipline, uh, becoming resilient, And those things all get developed when you care about something. Um, I hear about, you know, oftentimes I hear about grit and resilience. And I have to tell you, a little bit turns my stomach. Because what it tends to mean is that you can grit it out in doing something that you don't want to do or that doesn't feel good. Um, As opposed to when real resilience is when you have a commitment to making a difference or, you know, being a part of something or, you know, or contributing something, that's when real resilience comes out, when you hit blocks and how do you get past them to keep going? Right. Struggle. Yeah. And and struggle that's worth struggling for. Struggle that matters. Yep. Yeah. Getting an A on a test, which is a very, (laughs) very different kind of struggle. So let me just I, let me summarize. I heard you say that you, like every parent, has you had to make compromises. You're not you're not able to find the ideal, uh, but yep. the ideal is some combination of what? What would the ideal look like for you? Um, you you mean if I really had the ideal? Yeah, yeah, like dream for us. Um, so the ideal would be um, that th- that they were in a learning environment um, and where they had some form of advisory or um, where there was a small group of kids that would be on a journey together with an educator or a a person who really wants to get to know them, is interested in what parents want for their children, is interested in what the kids want for themselves, um, and wants to help um, my kids navigate to set goals and to accomplish them, and is not going to think is going to know in the background that there are major development milestones for kids and that there are competencies that are important across most things, being able to communicate well, for example, in writing and orally. Um, but that's in the, that's what they're adding in the background. It's not driving the decisions in the foreground. Right. If, I don't know if Makes that perfect communicates. Sense. Um, yeah. Makes perfect sense. And that, so for example, my kids, I love that they're reading assigned books, but to only have assigned books that are exposing them to other things, you know, I would expect them to be digging in and wanting to read in the things that really matter to them. Yeah. And having other people who are just curious about what they're learning for their learning sake, not to have their own agenda about what they should be learning. So if, if in my ideal, so one is you have that structure, that there's support, that I as a parent am not having to discern what the goals are and what what competencies that, that they're going to be learning this particular year on their particular pathway. Um, and that learning is seen as engaging in the community, 
It's not in the building all of the time. In fact, a lot of the time. And um, yeah, beautiful. And kids, are, yeah, I could keep going, but yeah. yeah. And I, I, I just hope that parents hear that so that they can start to make the comparisons of what their kids are getting and that there is an ideal out there and that there's at this point there's pressure to get rid of current and to move towards ideal. So anyway, Scott, you had something? Yeah, so uh, I think it would be fair to say uh, there are a few people that uh, have a better national perspective of uh, the early adopters uh, around community center uh, learning uh, than uh, Kelly Young. So Kelly, can you tell our audience uh, some of those uh, examples of uh, either uh, school groups or learning groups, out of school groups that are really like pushing the envelope and moving uh, at least their clientele, their customers, their parents into this community-based center. Yeah. So I'll give a couple of different examples, and some of them come from homeschooling and some come from the um, more of the conventional system. So one of my favorites is Workspace Education in Bethel, Connecticut, and they are a co-learning space. Um, they are seen, so they are a place where families go. They have a dream director that meets with the family. Um, they get to Kath know the- Phrase. Kath she, Phrase. She's been on the show. Yeah. Oh, good. Yep. So she's awesome. Yeah. Yep. I'll be seeing her tomorrow, actually. Oh, good. All mm-hmm. right. So yes, we're all. I'm. She's. I'm. One of her biggest fans. Oh, yeah. Um And her vision is extraordinary. And it's so. I if if you've already heard about that, I can. But what I love about that is that a, you know a family gets a dream director. You can start off with very conventional education because that's might be all you have been exposed to. But because of the building that they are operating in, which has, you know, a robotics lab, a maker space, a theater, a sewing place, a cartography space, you know, a sound booth, like within weeks, I'm sure she would say, kids are drawn to all kinds of engaging things and anything that was considered the core curriculum is now reduced to a, a small percentage of their time. And they're off to the races, engaging in much deeper learning, making things, building things, entrepreneurship. And what is particularly lovely about workspace is the community. It is not an isolated individual pursuit because a lot of people hear what I am can can assume that this is an individualized pathway, meaning it's a child by themselves doing this. And nothing could be further from the truth. This is about communities come together. Learning is a social phenomenon um, and is both, made fun. For, for both adults others. and kids, by the way. Exactly. Right? Um, exactly. And so they do things together, like their garden, their community garden. Um, they actually ask families and kids to make contributions to the space itself, whether it's helping with lunch or, um, you know, offering one of their gifts to teach a class. So that's one example that I can imagine you can create publicly without having to, to 
demand that parents play all of those roles. You could have educators and advisors and mentors playing those roles and parents can play them to the extent that they want and can, but wouldn't be dependent on it. Um, so that's a, a great model of being able of, yeah, being able to see the future. Mm-hmm. Um, another model is, uh, and you can begin to see these overlapping, but is the Virtual Learning Academy Charter School in New Hampshire. And why this one is interesting is any child in New Hampshire, if they want to get credit for a job, internship, project that they're doing, a club that they're in, they actually can ask their school saying, I want to get my science credit through the Virtual Learning Academy. And they will get paired up with the teacher who is trained in perform in credentialing learning that's done in a project-based way. Um, and so you can get paired up with an educator and you can say, a child can say, I want to get my science credit through my robotics club. Mm. Can you help me do that and tell me if I will actually be getting the competencies that I need to? And they'll design, they'll look at the final product that they're already aimed at and say, you know, you're going to get six out of the nine competencies. You can either add something onto your current project or do a separate second side project. And they can get learning credentialed literally no matter where it is or when or with whom it is. Nice. So that's an example of an infrastructure that you can imagine that would be available to families so that they would not have to have the only learning credentialed is in a classroom, you know, 180 days of a year. Right. So let me let me now ask you the question that a lot of parents are, are asking themselves right now, I think, it, which is, why the hell don't we have that, right? Why is that not in place? It's so obvious that that is a great, and of course, I'm, I'm pushing you a little bit, but what are the barriers uh, that parents can actually help to press on from the bottom up to change some of the, uh, you know, some of the opposition to this. Yeah. So I think the critical piece to this is we've been dealing with a one size fits all model. And oftentimes people want to replace it with a new model all at once. And the reality is not all parents want something different right now. There are those who are for sure already doing, right? It's something probably 10% of families, I think it's actually increased now that are homeschooling, doing whatever they're doing. Um, There's probably another 20% that are ready for something else if it was offered and who are not in a position where they can homeschool. And I would count myself as one of those parents. Um, And so rather than think, so one of the barriers is, There's a huge percentage of teachers and parents and administrators that don't want this right now. So how can you create it so that you have two parallel systems operating at once so that it's not forcing people to go to this new model, but it's giving families the option to go to this new model. So if there was something to, to ask for, it's the, it's the flexibility to be able to credential, and these are, you know, the way that education thinks about it is right, credentialing it, making it something that quote unquote counts, um, is is enabling learning no matter where it happens to be able to be credentialed, and that um, so that if your child wants to, you know, I can imagine there's no reason summer camp will have to stay in the summer. Like, you know, there are incredible competencies that you can get from wilderness trips. Sure. Um, 
so allowing those things to actually start to count. So I think, and if, and, um, there are incredible virtual programs now, you know, online learning is not all equal. Most right. of what's happening is pretty poor. Yeah. Um, um, but there is great online learning. Some of it is synchronous, meaning that you actually are just online with a great educator, right? And so you're processing learning, you're doing projects, all of that. And there are now a lot of online resources that connect you. Galileo is just an example of one. I think a lot of people are familiar with OutSchool, which is not a credentialed learning spot, um, but gets you engaged in something that you're interested in. So parents could say, could start saying, I don't, my child doesn't want to do this particular class. They would like to be able to have an option to do this other class yeah. in that, in that time slot. So um, our view of this is, how do we push to enable learning no matter where it happens to quote unquote count and move away from that it counts because of what building it happens in? Bingo. So, yeah. So or that's the time what I would associated add. with it. Or the time associated with it. Because, right, because stuff happens in out of school time in a school building, but it doesn't count because it didn't happen during the school day and it's not, right, 180 days in a that's great. That's crazy, right? It, it's and, really you know, crazy. In 2021, that we're still talking about this, right? I hope learning happens really... all the time. Exactly. Anywhere. Yeah. I I really hope that that is what is going to be crazy to a whole lot of people now, is thinking yeah. that somehow a building makes right it valuable learning. And if it happens someplace else or at different hours, it doesn't count. So, so one final question, Kelly, uh, because we could talk hours on, on the, mm -hmm. on this, this subject. Um, if you were to give a couple of pieces of advice from one parent to another, uh, for families that want to get more engaged in the work in the movement, um, what would those pieces of advice sound like? Um, one is, even as a parent, we have been programmed to believe that the way to success is by doing a very conventional pathway and collecting markers along the way of grades, um, and so as a parent, there's a lot you do to either reinforce or give your child freedom from the stress and the compulsion of succeeding at a pre-described pathway. And I can speak from experience, even being in this, committing my life to it, I learn every day ways that I have I am prioritizing a predetermined way for my children to succeed versus really listening to them and working through it with them, what will work for them. Um, so one is just as a parent, even going through a conventional system, you can trust that your kids want to learn if they're not, if they're struggling, for example, trust that they want nothing more than to succeed. And if they are skipping class, being late, I just dealt with this with my daughter, that it's something not working for them. Right. It's not them. So that's the first gift you can give them is being a partner 
with them and listening to them um, and and trusting them and trusting if they're saying something's not working that you can be their partner in finding something that will work with them for them. Yeah. Um, number two is if you don't have any flexibility in what they're experiencing in the in their school day, really think of what are the options that you have um, to formulate experiences that enable them to have their own agency. In school, they spend all day not being in charge. That's right. And so um, it is a very frustrating experience, and it's even getting more frustrating for kids growing up today than it did for any of us. So let them be the creators, whether that's at home with a project. You know, I went out and bought, I asked my son what he wanted at the beginning of the pandemic. And he said he wanted to make a go-kart. I was like, okay, I know nothing about making a go-kart, but I will go just buy a bunch of wood. I didn't, I don't even know how you make it. I mean, but we went to Home Depot. You know, we just bought cheap lumber mm-hmm. and he spent, months doing that. And he actually made the desk that I'm using right now. We had no desks in the house because we didn't work from home. Um, So he's made three desks in our house um, and he was able to do that. We trained him on the, you know, how to use the power tools, but then we had to let him go and use them. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Now he's 13. I wouldn't do that with my 10 year old, but although a lot of people would say as long as she's trained and knows not how to cut her her fingers off. Um, So, Find things where they are really driven to want to, to, to do it. Um, and whether that's in your own house, at a community, in a club, Boy Scouts, you know, are not all equal, but I will say that they are designed to be youth-led. And my son is in an incredible troop. Um, so, um, and then there are all kinds of online things that you can be looking for. And look for kids having a say that will differentiate the experience that they're having. Um, and so, yeah. Um, Great answers. Mm-hmm. Stay involved in the movement, keep listening to the education game and, you know, just continue to push your own thinking about what will it really take for my kids to succeed? Is it being able to be compliant doing what other people have set out as goals. Like that is one thing you do need to be able to do. It is one thing much more important is that you can navigate, you can create your own goals. You can create projects, figure out what resources you need that you can move something forward of your own design. Good deal. Can parents connect with you directly through education reimagined? Oh, we would love for um, people to join our uh, listserv or our, we have a Voyager magazine that comes out and it just shares stories of amazing learner centered sites around the country. So it's a good way to begin to see. We have stories from young people and educators. We, and um, we will, we're increasing our number of parents that are speaking to share journeys and experiences and see what's possible out there for what you could want and ask for Great. in your community. Great. How do they, how do they uh, connect with you? Um, our website is educationreimagined.org and it comes right up to sign up for Voyager. Perfect. Perfect. Great. Great. Kelly, well, thank you so much. Yes. Yes. This has been uh, very, very informative and uh, 
I think parents are really going to benefit, not only because of your expertise as a leader in this space, but as a fellow parent. That's right. uh, this is th These are confusing times uh, for parents. Uh, but one of the things that I've noticed the last five months, parents are smart people and parents are learning. Uh, they're not only learning about what's going on in these places called school, they're learning how they can provide uh, some rich experience for their kids, whether it be in school or within their community. Yeah. So thanks so much. Really appreciate it. And good luck. Best of luck as you uh, push forward uh, with this uh, community-centered work. Uh, Scott, that was great. That was great to hear somebody with that kind of national perspective. Give me your thoughts about it. Yeah, so Matt, here's here's the best thing uh, about Kelly Young, I think. Uh, Kelly, uh, you know, if you ask me, uh, name uh, five leaders uh, around lear learner-centered work in this country right now, uh, Kelly would make that top five. Is that right? Uh, but I think what parents uh, are going to hear on this podcast is not a national leader, but a mom. Right. Right. Kelly's uh, Kelly's a, a parent. Yep. She's trying to figure it out. Kids trying to figure things out. Yep. Just yep. like all of us, millions that's of right. parents are trying to do right now, and that's kind of why you and I hang out in this space. We just want to help parents figure some things out. Right. I will say, Scott, I loved how in the beginning she talked about. Um, I don't I can't remember if someone asked her. Yes, one of her one of her pre pre K teachers or principals asked her if you could have anything, if you could wave a magic wand uh, and have anything from your child's education. What would you ask for? And she didn't know. And most parents don't know because we've never really been asked. And so if that was the beginning of her journey. Now she can answer that question. I'm I'm sure pretty thoughtfully. And she's now trying to figure out how to get more parents to want to ask that question and then create the systems to make sure that parents can find those the answers to those questions. And that's that's really cool. So I'm glad that you were able to get her on the show. She's uh, she's she's the type of conversation I'd love to have again. We seem to say that a lot, don't we, Scott? <laughs> yeah, me too. But, uh, you know, I, I, I think uh, one of the things that we should think about doing on the podcast is I don't know how long it is. Maybe it's six months, maybe it's a year. But some of the folks that have been most engaging uh, on our on our shows, uh, we need to come back to those people, right? Mm -hmm. Because check in. This is an evolving game, right? right. And uh, I think it would be fascinating uh, to check in with Kelly. Uh, let's say a year from now, yeah, and um, just kind of see what that work looks like. That's right. But both of her as a parent, and also her as leading education reimagined. Both That's of right. those. That's right. Because if you think about it, I mean, one way to think about it, Scott, is she has much more information about what works for kids than most parents. And since she is a parent, she now is like I mentioned. She's in that space of I know what they need and want. And I'm trying to figure out how do I close that gap as much as possible. Guys, thanks for listening to another episode of The Education Game. Uh, this is from Matt and my good friend, Dr. Scott. We ask you to continue to check in with us. We've got multiple podcasts coming up as well as blog posts 
that are trying to help families understand how to navigate this world of education, how to make sure that, as we talked about with Kelly, that their kids have the best learning opportunity possible. Not necessarily that they can go to school, right? But they can learn. So that's what we're about. And so thanks for listening. This is the education game. Please join us in the future. 